Good morning once again. Well, if you're new with us, we are currently in a series, the longest we have ever done here at Calvary. And I'm not telling you when it's going to end either. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're in a series that we've entitled The Battle for Truth. And this morning we are at the end of a little section we have devoted to looking at psychology. Now, let me start out this morning by asking a, a, a couple questions. First of all, do Christians ever go through difficult times? Occasionally. I mean, you know, some people think Christians shouldn't if they're really walking with God and have faith, but I think it's obvious as we read the scriptures, we see that Christians will go through difficult times, adversity, heartache, suffering, and that those times will lead to periods of discouragement, despair, and even sometimes depression. I mean, Paul experienced it. David experienced it. Job. Joseph, I'm thinking of. I mean, there's a guy, right? You have Elijah, who found himself in a cave full of self-pity and depression. We don't have to look far in the scriptures to see that the people of God are not exempt from these kinds of things. Now, when we fall into this kind of thing, what should we do as Christians? Well, many today say that we should run to a professional Christian psychologist because they can really help us. They have the answers. But again, I want to ask you, what did the people of God do for 1,900 years? Or actually, 1,900 years, that's just the New Testament. What did the people of God do for the last 6,000 years? when they fell into these things? Well, they had to turn to God. Poor people, they had to turn to God. <laughs> and His Word. And other godly, mature believers to find encouragement and people to pray with them. I mean, David was no stranger to discouragement and even some despair. He was chased all over the desert by Saul David had many enemies that wanted to kill him. He was constantly fighting for his life. He had family problems that devastated him. David often found himself discouraged, and I would imagine at times in a period of depression. We know that in Psalm 42, verse 5, he said to himself, Soul, why are you cast down within me? Why are you so stressed and anxious? Don't you hope in God? David talked to himself. I do that. Thankfully, I haven't started arguing with myself, so I think that's all right. But, but David turned to God, is my point. And we read in like Psalm 40, and this is just one of many, where David wrote, I waited patiently for, for, uh, for the Lord. David was in a, a difficult period in his life. He prayed and asked God to intervene, and he waited on the Lord. And the Lord inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps and has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. David just went to the Lord. What about Paul the Apostle? Now, there's quite a transformation to study in the life of one man. I like what Dave Hunt, 
Christian author had to say about this. He said, what an amazing transformation happened in Saul the Apostle's life. He went from the chief of sinners to become the chief apostle. What could have changed Saul from breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord in Acts chapter 9 to becoming one of them, knowing that he too would be hated, persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, and eventually martyred? What recovery program helped Paul in this remarkable deliverance and consistent triumphant life so that he could say, be followers of me even as I follow Christ? Was there a murderer's anonymous or a persecutor's anonymous that helped Paul along the path of recovery from his wicked past? Was he a part of a small group of former haters of Christ who found comfort and support in weekly confessing to one another that they still struggle with impulses to oppose Christ's church? How else could Paul declare in triumph, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If such questions are absurd, what does that say about today's recovery programs? In fact, neither Paul nor his fellow apostles, nor anyone in the early church, nor any of the millions who loved Christ so much and were so fervent for the truth that was found in him followed any recovery program at all. And yet they were all faithful unto death. The early church was made up of former Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and extortioners, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 tell us. After listing these sins, Paul reminds the Corinthians, And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There is not a word about any special program to keep them recovering from their sordid past, end quote. And yet, that's exactly what we're being told in the church today. As the church has been psychologized into thinking that Christians cannot truly be divorced from their past where they can be fruitful and victorious and well-adjusted unless they spend years in recovery. The Bible is no longer adequate to deal with the complex problems of today's world and therefore needs to be supplemented through the ministry of trained professionals, you know, the experts, because we all need an expert today. And because of this, the church has been, become the largest referral agency in the world to psychologists and psychiatrists. I think of Joseph, whose own brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery. The Potiphar, who was a commander in Pharaoh's army, his wife eventually falsely accused him of trying to rape her. So now he finds himself in prison for three years. And eventually, through a series of circumstances, interprets a couple of dreams for Pharaoh, who makes him prime minister. Now he's in a position where he could kill those who wronged him. But he didn't. He just simply forgave them and committed it to God. Now you say, but wait a minute. Christian psychologists have helped many people. And, and, and I know that many of them are wonderful people. I'm not putting them down. I'm putting psychology down. I know that they've helped a lot of people work through problems and get out of depression. But as we've already said, the passing of time and talking about what you're going through to people, whether that they be your friends, your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, a pastor, time and talking about the things you're going through 
is going to help the average person work through whatever it is they're going through. I've already pointed out, studies have been done over years of time by secular professionals, and they have concluded that the success rate that people have who are non-professionals is exactly the same in helping people as the professionals. Exactly the same. So you say, well, then what you're saying is Christian psychologists have helped people. Yes, they have. So then what's the big deal? Why not let people go if they're going to get some help? Here's the big problem. Christian psychologists are integrationists. What does that mean? They don't believe the Bible is adequate to deal with the complex problems of today, and so they believe that you have to take the Word of God and supplement it with the teachings that come from the secular professionals, guys like Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, Rogers, and Maslow, and others like them. And what you do is you combine the secular with the sacred, and that will give you a blend of the best of both worlds and give you a superior counseling methodology. That's the mentality today. But we've already showed out of Psalm 19, the psalmist said that God's word was perfect and it was pure. Now, folks, think this through. How can you take what has been given to us by God and is perfect and pure and then add to it what comes from the polluted hearts and corrupt minds of godless atheists like Freud and occultists like Jung and mix it all together and come up with something superior? All you do is pollute the pure. It's nothing less than Satan's attempt to undermine the sufficiency of the scriptures in our lives. And when you try to tell one of these professionals, look, when it comes to my psychological needs, I just want to stick to the Bible. You know what to tell you? And I, this has actually been told me by one of these guys. Look, if your car isn't working properly, you don't go to the Bible, right? You take it to a mechanic. If you got a physical problem, you don't go to the Bible. You go to a medical doctor. Well, if you got a psychological problem, what makes you think you go to the Bible? You go to a psychologist. And on the face of it, that does sound reasonable. Except, again, as we've already shown, psychology deals with the non-physical soul of man. And any system that deals with the soul of man, by its very definition, is a religion. And I know that people like Dr. Phil have said some good things, and they've helped people. I, I hear he's a good guy. I don't know. I haven't really watched him. I guess he gives a lot of good, solid advice. A lot of it's just common sense. But even if it wasn't just common sense and did come out of psychology in some way, let me say this. Just because psychology, like all other religions, intersects with truth from time to time, doesn't validate the use of psychology in the church anymore then the fact that God used a donkey to speak to a wayward prophet in the Old Testament validates the ministry of donkeys in the church. Someone has said that psychology is like the clock that doesn't run. It happens to be right twice a day. That doesn't validate it. Psychology is not a science, as we've already shown. It's a rival religious system that seeks to undermine the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures in your lives. I realize, and I agree, when you talk about having a problem with your car, you don't go to the Bible. You know, as Christians, not everything for life is in the Bible. I mean, when I talk about life, I mean your car. If your car is broken, you don't go to the Bible to try to find out how to fix it. If you've got a physical problem, no, you don't go to the Bible. If you're studying architecture, don't go to the Bible. 
But psychology claims to deal with the soul of man. Now, now you're in an area where the Bible claims absolute authority because God made the soul of man. The soul is non-physical. It's in the realm of the spirit, in a sense. In that regard, only God has the right to talk about what will heal the soul of man. Not secular or even Christian psychologists. The Bible claims absolute authority in this area. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Complete. Not almost complete, complete. Peter said that through Christ we have, been, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Folks, as Christians, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. You're going to tell me the divine nature needs psychotherapy? Come on! I like what Tom McMahon said, who was a Christian apologist. He said, and I quote, Psychotherapy has shipwrecked the faith of many regarding the sufficiency of the Bible. Because psychologists claim to have insights into the nature of man and also methods for change not found in the Bible, it follows that the Bible cannot be sufficient for counseling or addressing believers' mental, emotional, and behavioral needs. Psychotherapy has sold the church the lie that psychology can be integrated with the Bible. That ought to be scandalous to any thoughtful believer. Since psychology and the Bible are fundamentally in opposition to one another, it should be obvious that there can be no real integration of their teachings. Moreover, if the Bible, the manufacturer's handbook, isn't sufficient to cover all things that pertain to life and godliness, then his created beings, us, must look elsewhere for their mental, emotional, and behavioral welfare. And if they must look elsewhere, then the Bible's claim to be authoritative, inerrant, and sufficient is also false, end quote. You see, this is no small issue. The Bible claims absolute authority in the area of the soul of man. But the secular professionals are telling us, and now Christians also, are telling us the Bible is not sufficient. And if that's true, then the Bible is in error. And if that's the case, let's just throw it out. If we can't trust the word of God when it says, look, I'm the final authority, God said. I've given you everything you need. If we can't trust God at his word, well, then we might as well just toss the book and go home. That's why Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 8, don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. And again, that to me is an apt definition of psychology. So Phil, what are you saying? You're saying that Christians should never need any kind of counseling? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when Christians need counseling, they need good, solid, biblical counseling. But you see, we have been so psychologized that many Christians have no idea what true biblical counseling is all about. The greatest verse on this issue comes out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We all read it around Christmas time, but let me read it to you again right now. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Look, the Lord Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. Every issue in biblical counseling needs to be anchored to that truth. The Lord is the Counselor. We have been made to believe today that the psychologist is the Counselor. And he will use certain tools to help people, which are psychological principles. But the Bible says the Lord is the Counselor. And we as his people are the tools, the instruments that he will use to touch and minister healing to broken people. The body of Christ working to bear each other's burdens, praying for each other, encouraging each other, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's how emotional health is maintained. How wonderful is our counselor? Well, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it says of Jesus that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Sometimes people ask me, do you know a really great counselor? And what they're saying is, I need a wonderful counselor. But you see, that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. He is the wonderful counselor. Why is he wonderful? Because he's God. And who but God can help you with every problem in your life? Secondly, because he's God, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen to me. Counseling is all about getting the knowledge that you need and the wisdom to know how to use it in your life with your problems. But all the treasures of heavenly wisdom and knowledge are found not in a program, but in a person. You know, today the world is program crazy. And because the church has been psychologized, the church has become program crazy. And we always hear about some new program coming out. And as soon as it hits the the bookstores, the Christians jump on it. It becomes a bestseller. And, you know, it's touted as the answer, you know, the key to what you're going through. No, listen, in the kingdom of God, a program is never the key. It's a person. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the answer. Always has been, always will be for the people of God. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, mature in Christ Jesus. We need to preach Christ to Christians. I'm not talking about preaching the gospel to Christians. I'm talking about preaching Christ to Christians. Because in Christ there is victory. There is maturity, there is sanctification, there is joy, there is fruitfulness, and every other blessing in the Christian life. The only message that matures the saints to fullness of life, listen to me, is more insight into, more knowledge of, and more intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's why Paul again said, Him we preach. We don't preach a program. We preach Christ. Because in Him is everything we need to be matured as believers. 
The message that matures Christians simply is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen to these, and I'm going quickly with these scriptures, so I'm not going to give you time to turn to them. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what Peter said. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. All things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to us in the knowledge of him. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and powers. We are in Christ. Therefore, we're not, we, don't, we no longer live. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm not living, he's living his life through me. He's perfect. He's perfect. Jesus Christ doesn't need therapy. He doesn't need a recovery program. He's perfect. And because I'm in him, I'm complete. What more do I need? And once again, Colossians 2, 3, I really want you to get that in your, in your heart. In him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, Paul didn't say, in him are hidden many of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or most of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The rest, you're going to have to get from the world. The wisdom of men, philosophies of, 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 of ungodly people, but they have something to offer, that kind of thing. The Bible never says that. It never says you combine the sacred with the secular to, to get a superior counseling methodology. We don't need to look to the world for anything that pertains to life and godliness. It's all found in Jesus. We are complete in him. In him are hidden all the treasures, not just some or most, and the rest we have, we have to go to the world for. He is sufficient. You are complete in him. He has given you everything you need for this life and to be all that God wants you to be. Listen, do you believe that? The problem today is that Satan has ripped us off into thinking the Bible is not sufficient and is not adequate. When he convinced us of that, he could slip into the church that other truth that we need, which comes from psychology, which is not truth. It's part of the lie that Satan has fed the human race, and it has weakened the church in these last days. The very thing Paul warned us was going to happen. And notice this, Paul said these treasures are hidden in him. They're hidden in him. Listen, they're not hidden in him so that we can't find them. They're hidden in him so that we can't find them anyplace else. They're hidden in him so that we know exactly where to dig to find them, is the idea. And the more we dig into Jesus through his word and through prayer, well the more you're going to fall in love with him. And the more you're going to dig into the mother load of all wisdom and knowledge. Because he's God. Only Jesus can bring transformation and newness of life. Only Jesus. You will not find these treasures in a program or in a psychological principle. No matter how deeply you dig, you're just going to be frustrated. And I have known people that have been in counseling and some in therapy for years. 
and they're no better off. They're no better off because those things cannot really get at the deep, deep soul of man. Only the word of God can reach way down into the dividing of soul and spirits and joints and marrow and by the word of God heal us and make us all that God wants us to be. Only the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit through my relationship with Jesus Christ can accomplish that. Yesterday, we hosted our first annual Calvary Chapel Pastor's Wives Midwest Conference. And one of our speakers that came out was Sandy McIntosh. Now, Sandy is the wife of Mike McIntosh, who is the pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, California. Maybe some of you have read Mike's book, his biography, his autobiography, For the Love of Mike. Awesome book. But Mike said when he was a young man, he was really messed up. I mean, he was into drugs big time. He had dropped so much acid, he had literally lost his mind. At a party one day, somebody shot a gun off near his head, and he was convinced in his, he was you know, out there on a, a psychedelic drug trip that they had blown off half of his head. For the next 18 months, he walked around in a fog, believing that half of his head was blown off. He wasn't able to function. He was almost catatonic. He was so bad, his family committed him to a mental hospital. And for 18 months, he underwent intensive psychotherapy. The doctors finally gave up on him. So there's nothing we can do. He's a hopeless case. They released him. Walked around for months, kind of in this, you know, in and out of reality. Finally, some, one of his friends brought him to Calvary Chapel, where he heard the gospel. He went forward to receive Jesus Christ. Pastor Chuck Smith asked, if anyone wants to go into the prayer room, to have the elders lay hands on you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, Mike went. He told them what he had been going through. They laid hands on him. And as they prayed, the Spirit of God would come in and just completely cleanse his body of all the effects of the drugs over the years that he had abused his body. Mike said he felt like a bolt of electricity shot through his body. At that instant, he was completely healed. He never had a flashback. He never had any problems after that. And eventually God laid his hand on Mike and put him in the ministry. If you want to read a fascinating book, read Chuck Smith's book, Harvest which takes the lives of, I think, 10 different Calvary pastors and traces their testimonies. These guys were bad news. I mean, they were drug addicts and drug pushers and violent gangbangers. They should have been on the country's 10 most wanted list. They were on God's most wanted list. And he pursued these guys and got a hold of each one of them. And they gave their hearts to Jesus Christ, and God completely transformed their lives. He made them pastors. Today they pastor churches of thousands and thousands of people. The psychologist can't bring transformation like that. No psychiatrist, no drug, no therapy, no recovery program can take a person's life that is that far gone and completely transform it. Only the power of Jesus Christ can do that. And I realize those examples are, are you know, the more dramatic and, and almost the instantaneous. I realize in most of our lives, that transformation is going to take place gradually over time as you walk with him. But mark it down, that transformation will come. Because God has promised you. He is working in you, conforming you day by day to the image of Jesus Christ, who said, I came, that you may have life. And not just survive, but you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
you might say that biblical counseling is really Christian discipleship. Biblical counseling is really Christian discipleship. And the heart of discipleship is what Jesus said in Luke 9.23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Folks, when the church was psychologized years ago, the focus shifted from Christ and the cross to me, myself, and I. And now, counseling for most Christians is this. To have somebody fix my problems and give me a happier and more comfortable life. Biblical counseling is all about God breaking you, that he might make you usable and Christ-centered. We're totally missing it. That's why people never get better. The Lord's counsel, biblical counsel, is always for the purpose of discipleship, which is the death of self, so that you and I might live a life in the Spirit. Everything we do as Christians must relate to, to discipleship, which in essence again says, come follow me. But today the church seems to be echoing the world's message. Come find yourself. And that's the problem, folks. As long as you're seeking to find yourself, you will never climb out of the trap of self. You will never climb out of the trap of self. You have to understand self is the problem. Self has always been the problem. Self is destroying our fruitfulness for the Lord. Self is choking the life out of our marriages. Self is destroying our relationship with God on so many different levels. Self is keeping us from being truly fruitful, truly victorious, truly fulfilled, truly satisfied. Self is an evil monster that the more you feed it, the more it grows and wants more. Self is robbing us of the joys of Christ, which comes through the crucified life. God forbid, don't feed it, don't esteem it. Kill it, is what the Bible says. Crucify self. Because only until you crucify self will you ever be able to follow Jesus in the life that he wants for you. In other words, you don't need more counseling. You and I need more of the wonderful counselor. People today need strength and wisdom. Well, they'll find those in Jesus. People today need forgiveness and hope. They will find those in Jesus. They need direction and fulfillment. They'll find them in Jesus. Many people today need a brand new life. They've so destroyed theirs. That life is found in Jesus. All you have to do is obey what he said, which is, come, follow me. So what's stopping you? Self. That's right. That's why all biblical counsel starts at the point of the cross. Because if you don't die to self, you will never be what God wants you to be. Take up your cross, deny yourself, Jesus said, and then and only then can you truly be my disciple and follow after me. The Christian life is a resurrected life, not just a restructured life. And you can't have resurrection without crucifixion. We have to die if God is ever going to raise us up in the Spirit. We were once dead in trespasses and sins, but through Jesus, the wonderful Counselor and our Savior, 
We now have been resurrected to a new life. And now how does God counsel us? He counsels us from his word. Psalm 119, verse 24, the psalmist said, Your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Hebrews 4.12, we already quoted it. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It'll make you free. Free from sin and self and your past and all the hurts and all the resentment and all the anger. It'll release you from all that. Those people who truly abide in Christ abide in his word. And when they have problems, they run to the scriptures and they get on their knees, and they ask God to lead them to the answer. Now, I realize that some of the answers, you want a very specific answer. Lord, do I marry Joe, or do I mar marry Jim? Or, you know, or what job do I take, job A or job B? And I realize that those things are not found in the Scriptures, but what is found in the Scripture is all you do, do for the glory of God. Now impose that on your decision to see what you come up with. Is God really the one you want to glorify? And if he is, believe me, it'll answer a lot of the questions in life. Now I know at this point some are saying, well, yeah, I tried biblical counseling. It didn't work for me. Again, there's that mentality that I have to have a methodology. And biblical counseling is a methodology. I'll try it for a couple weeks. If it doesn't work, give me something new. First of all, let me just say this as we kind of wind this down. Not all biblical counselors are created equal. It's like pastors. It all depends on the person doing the counseling, where they are with the Lord. If they are walking with the Lord and they're spirit-filled, you're going to get some good advice from the Word of God. If they're carnal and living in sin, then that's going to come through in their counsel because they're going to try to justify certain sins to you that they're involved in. But I think for a large segment of people today who don't think biblical counseling has actually worked for them, all too often they're not looking to make the lifelong changes necessary to really walk with God the rest of their life. Folks, it's a walk. It's not a program. It's not, you know, take these two principles and call me in the morning. It's not like that. The Christian life is a lifelong commitment. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it takes effort and discipline and sacrifice and commitment to walk with the Lord every single day. And a lot of times people aren't willing to take what the biblical counselor is saying with regard to that and apply it over the long haul. That's why it often doesn't work. It's not a formula. It's not a quick fix. It's not a 12-step program. It's easy for me to tell you what the Bible says. It's a lot harder for you to apply it. That's where self comes in. Tell me something that I can do that will help me with my problem, but still let me be in control. Still let self dominate. Sorry, there is no such thing, biblically speaking. You've got to be not only hearers of the word, but doers. Now, as we bring this to a close, let me just say this. How would a secular counselor or a biblical counselor that wasn't so good Handle a woman who came into their office and said, look, I have absolutely no feelings for my husband. 
I'm ready to chuck the guy. I have no feelings at all for him. You know how they would handle that? Let me tell you right now. They would focus on her feelings in trying to fix her feelings. I have no feelings for my husband. Well, that's a problem. Let's work on those feelings. Go on a cruise with your husband. That'll help get those feelings going. Go out and buy some new lingerie. That'll help jumpstart your feelings for your husband and his for you. Let's focus on the feelings because the feelings are so important. They're all important, aren't they? You know what a good, godly, biblical counselor would say to a woman like that? As long as you are contemplating leaving your husband in disobedience to the word of God, your marriage will never be what God wants it to be. You'll never regain your love for your husband. Your feelings cannot be dealt with first. It's your obedience that must come first. You obey God and what he has told you to do. And then God will begin to fix what's broken in your life. Exactly the way he did it when each of us first came to Jesus Christ and our lives were a mess, right? Maybe not all of you, but many of ours were. When did God start working on our lives? When did God start repairing and restructuring our lives? It wasn't until we bowed the knee to Jesus Christ in surrender and submission and said, Lord Jesus, take my life. It's yours now. You're my Lord. And he said, fine, I'll take it. But now follow me and begin to die to self. And he began a construction project in my life at that point that's going to continue the rest of my life. But it wasn't until I surrendered to him in obedience to what he said. And when I stop obeying him and get back into self, the construction project stops. And all the carnality that I had built in my life continues then. If you're a wife here this morning and you're contemplating leaving your husband because you have no feelings for him anymore, here's what God says to you. You need to die to self, put your feelings on the back burner, obey what God has commanded you to do in the area of honoring your husband, and then God will begin to fix that marriage. And you men, if you're contemplating the same thing with your wife, know this. God has commanded you to put your feelings last, die to yourself, start to cherish her, and treat her like she really is special, showing her how much you love her every single day, and God will start healing your marriage. It's not about our feelings. It's about obedience. One author put it this way as we bring this to a close. The same is true of all of the ingredients of a happy, productive, fruitful, victorious Christian life. They come from obedience to sound doctrine. Far from being divisive, or as some complain, doctrine is our very life. Those who will not endure it delude themselves with a false Christianity, a Christianity of self, that will be severely judged for its fundamental disobedience. The Bible does not say, rejoice in the Lord always, unless you are unable to do so because of an unhappy childhood, a bout of depression, or adverse circumstances. It does not say be anxious for nothing, unless you have a nervous disposition. It does not say forgive unless you are unable because of abuse, etc. We are not excused from obeying the command, be not afraid, because we happen to be timid and fearful. We are not excused from the command, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, because we have been diagnosed as susceptible to stress. Nor are we excused from the command to love because we find certain people unlovable. Unfortunately, however, the simple obedience to God's word that sound doctrine compels has been undermined by psychological counseling that nourishes unbelief and rebellion. 
Therapy then offers to justify our disobedience and comfort us in our rebellion and to provide the peace and joy that only God can give to those who truly trust and obey him. Too harsh, cries the Christian psychologist. What about the person who was abused as a child or who has been traumatized in a hundred other ways? Could there be a safer refuge for the wounded and fearful than God himself? Is he not able to bring comfort, courage, and deliverance? He promises to do so. The Bible is all about those who were hated, abused, cast out, falsely accused, and imprisoned, tortured, slain, and yet triumphed through faith in God. He has not changed. He will work the same deliverance today for those who trust and obey him. End quote. Remember what God said to his people in Jeremiah's day? Who had forsaken the word of God and had gone after false teachers and prophets who were telling them lies, basically? He said, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have carved out for themselves cisterns, but they are broken cisterns that can hold no water. We've already said that a cistern was a man-made holding tank dug into the limestone to catch rainwater. You know, if you built your house, it was preferable to build your house by a stream or a spring, what they call living water, fresh source of water. I mean, who doesn't want to drink out of a fresh mountain spring as opposed to some hole in the ground where water's been sitting there for months and months? It becomes stagnant and polluted, right? But if you didn't have a fresh water source nearby, you had to dig a cistern. And what God is saying is, I have given my people fresh, living water in my word. And what have they done? They've forsaken it to go after the polluted wells and philosophies and wisdom of the people of this world. Those wells are broken. They can hold no life. They can't solve anybody's problems. Why have my people forsaken me for that? You can hear the heart of God lamenting over that. And then he went on to say in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. That's this generation. God has said, You want to find rest for your souls? You want to cure for the stress and the anxiety and the emptiness and the unhappiness and all the other things that Christians are running to counselors to have them alleviate in their lives, God says, get back to the ways I have given you, the old ways, the right paths, my word, walk in it. You will find rest for your souls. But you know what this generation says? We will not walk in it. We don't trust it. It's not sufficient. I have to look other places. And God says, because of it, you're a mess. You can't drink from polluted wells and not be sick. This generation is sick. We're sick psychologically. We're sick spiritually. And God says, look, everything you need I've already given to you. Why have you forsaken it? You need my truth. My word is truth. So that's why Christians are defeated and depressed and unfruitful and miserable because they're not obeying what God has said simply from his word. Oh, but I can't. Look, God never commands you to do anything but what he doesn't supply the power to do it if you will seek, try to obey. 
So when God says, do this, it's simple, not always easy. It's simple in that I'm going to obey or I'm not going to obey. It's not easy in the sense that it goes beyond my abilities, but there God comes in to give me the strength and the power to do what he's commanded me to do. If I will to do his will, he will supply the power to do his will. If I make excuses, I will languish for years and years in impotency and fruitlessness because as I look at God's word, I do not really believe it holds everything I need to be all that God wants me to be. The truth will set you free. Next week, we'll start to focus on the truth. It's the answer to everything. The answer to all our problems is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. May God help us as we progress through this series to really take these things to heart. They are so desperately needed in these last days. Father, we thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything that we need as your people for life and godliness. We are complete in our Savior. We need not look anywhere else for anything we need to live this Christian life and be fruitful and victorious and blessed. Forgive us, Father, for looking to the polluted wells of this world for answers to the cure of souls. Lord, you alone can cure the soul, and that healing comes from your word. Father, give us a renewed hunger for the word, a renewed appreciation for it. Help us, Lord, to zealously believe and commit ourselves to its authority, its inerrancy, and its sufficiency. It's living water. It can bring life. It can give us abundant life. But we have to drink of it every day. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name.